Today's interview is with Isaac Barlow, the man behind the number one time tracking app, Busy Busy. Isaac has years of experience in the construction industry, and he shared a ton of knowledge in today's episode. We discuss leadership, communication, company culture, and much more. I know you will enjoy this episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Tile Money Podcast. My name is Luke Miller, your host, and my mission with this podcast is to strengthen the tile industry. I believe we can do this. I believe we are doing this with our business discussions and education designed for contractors by contractors. This platform, Tile Money, is assisting tile contractors around the world to build sustainable, profitable businesses. The result? A stronger industry from the installer up. That's right, friends. Today, we've got another discussion lined up for you, but before we get into it, I want to take a minute to thank the sponsors of the show. The National Tile Contractors Association, the NTCA, can be your most valuable resource as a tile contractor. They are the oldest, celebrating 75 years of association, of a nonprofit association this next year, 2022. 75 years, they are the largest association for tile contractors in the world. They can answer any question you have for your tile installation business, whether you're looking for solutions to your problems in the field or an introduction to an expert in a specific field of tile. The NTCA has your back. Some of the members uh, I've been meeting are some of the most professional and profitable tile contractors out there. Join the community, join the camaraderie. Lady Creek International and other sponsors of ours of Tile Money. Uh, Ladycrete is the leading innovator, one of the leading innovators in the tile installation materials world. They are literally credited with inventing Thinset and winning the World Trade Center contract for providing that lightweight solution to build the world's tallest buildings at the time. An incredible story. An incredible American story. A family-run, privately held company with family values that you can feel. Whether you're talking to your reps in the field all the way up to the family members still working in the business, Ladycrete provides everything you need to install tile. From the waterproofing to the grout and silicone, it is a one silicone. It is a one-stop shop. GoBoard are another sponsor of ours. GoBoard is an innovative tile backer board manufactured by Johns Manville. Discover the possibilities with this easy-to-cut and handle waterproof product. This is a lightweight product yet very durable. You can carry a bunch of boards in one trip. Seal those joints at fastener penetrations using GoBoard Pro Sealant to achieve an ANSI A118.1 compliant installation. Goldboard Pro Sealant is available in 20-ounce sausage packs. Ask, ask your distributor to bring them in. Prep is everything, and we all know that. So get your prep on with Goldboard. HappyTileGuy.com. I am a co-owner in HappyTileGuy.com. That is where tile contractors are getting professional websites built, fully search engine optimized for lead generation. That is your online hub for your business. Our bonus sponsor today is Busy Busy. Of course, we are uh, speaking with Isaac today, and uh, you can join us later this week. And if it's uh, past that time, you can see it on our YouTube channel where we talk to uh, Ryan Reber from Busy Busy and go over the specifics. Learn more about this app by clicking the link on the show notes. Enjoy this interview, friends. All right. Well, Isaac, again, thank you very much for, for being on the Tile Money podcast today. 
and for your interest in, you know, contractors, uh, we have a lot of the same goals. So I'm very excited to get into this discussion. I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better as a person and as a, uh, a contractor, you know, experience, somebody with experience in the contractor world. So perhaps you can just give us your, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Give us your story and history, uh, both, you know, where you're at and how you got started in the construction trades. Okay. Well, um, probably gonna be similar to a lot of people in the construction world. I, I grew up in a construction family is the real key, you know? So originally I was planning on becoming an engineer in school, but, uh, kind of end up going down the family trade route, you know? So right out of high school, I was thrown in the trenches literally, you know, cause we were in the excavation business. And yeah. so I was, you know, end up, um, going the trenches, laying sewer water, all kinds of pipe and, um, you know, just kind of worked my way through that where I worked my way through, through uh, working in the trenches and laboring to eventually operating machinery and eventually running job sites and um, project manager, estimator, you know, just work through the different roles of construction, but start out from a family business. Okay, great. Was it residential or commercial or a mix? A mix. It was, it ended up being primarily commercial, but started out a little bit more residential. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, very cool. It's, it's a... Uh... It sounds like you're well-rounded then. Yeah. <laughs> I jokingly tell people I've, I've done things I'm not proud of. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't we including, all? Including re- repaired live sewer lines, which is something nobody wants to do ever, I promise you. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I've uh, I've worked a little bit uh, in the uh, plumbing industry and clean outs and, and had my, you know, back then I had one of those uh, phones that I think they developed uh, – Nokia or something like that developed it for the army and it was waterproof. You know, it was like the first flip flown that was waterproof and I would just take it in my shower and scrub it up because I was calling people and you know, your hands are a mess. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) That's right. So, you know, you know, what? you've done things you're not proud of too. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Things we won't talk, talk about anymore, I guess. Let's get into the, into some business topics because, you know, that's really, you know, what we like to focus on. And, you know, one of the reasons I'm excited to have you here is because I know that's where your head is at also in the, in the contractor world. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and and most contractors, most tile contractors I talk to right now in November, 2021 are attempting to do either one of two things. I mean, they have a ton of work on their hands uh, too much, for the most part, yeah. no matter how how big or small their company is, yeah. so they're either trying to grow employees, or if they're if they want to stay small, you know, they like to grow their profits. So you know, and that's understandable. I mean, you've got to continue to grow, whether that be by pers- you know, persons adding adding you know personnel or you know profit. In my opinion, so what do you see? You know, you talk to a lot of contractors every single day on, on social media and through Busy Busy. What do you see? Um, contractors doing to continue their, their sustainable growth? Um, yeah, good question on sustainable growth. I guess I'm going to have to give you some of my, my strong opinions. <laughs> I'm, I'm very opinionated on this subject. You know? I love it. I love it. That makes for a good topic. Good well, excellent. So, um, you know, when I talk to, uh, there's a lot of contractors that I, um, I give a lot of, you know, business mentoring and, and talk with contractors. And in the, in the tech world, we have this term called Nellet and Skelet, okay? And that's usually what contractors are kind of, um, um, I sh- I'll say it like this, that they need to do better, is they've got to Nellet before they Skelet. And 
what I mean is nail the profits, you know, get your company where it's working and, and humming in the right order where you're making the profit margins that you're after develop your systems and, and culture and your company to the best of your ability before you start scaling it. Cause if you scale something that feels very chaotic that you're hardly getting your hands around and you're really scaling it just because you have that opportunity to increase your workload. Typically what most contractors experience is less profits and more problems, more headache, less profits. So very heavy advocate for, you know, figure out your systems first and, and then scale as you, as you figure those out. I like that a lot. I don't know, you know, I, I'm in, I'm in agreement so far. So, uh, that's, yeah. that's good, you know, but a lot of contractors might kind of push back on this. You're correct because kind of the popular thought belief in the contractor space is scale it to gain profitability. You know, the more jobs, the more profit. And I mean, on the surface, this seems to make sense, but why doesn't this make sense for, uh, pretty much everybody? Well, um, so, so the majority of contractors you talk to will tell you, I mean, a lot of them will tell you the same story. They'll say, I used to make a lot more profit and then I grew my company bigger and I made less profit and I had more headaches. And, you know, obviously, you know, with, with my other company with busy, busy, I'm heavy into tracking and I was heavy into tracking before busy, 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 busy was the result of that. Sure. You know, so the example is like this, if you're not tracking your, your projects, if you're not if you don't know where you're making profit, where you're not making profit, let's say overall in your company, you're making 10% profit. But you, what you might be doing is um, making 20% profit margins on some jobs and you're losing 10% on other jobs. And if you don't quite know which ones you're making on and which ones you're losing on, as you try to grow your business, you might be picking up a lot of those kind of projects that you're losing more money on. And so now you're picking up more of the 10% losses rather than the 20% gains. And so you really need to understand your business and understand where you're making your money so that when you grow, you're getting more money because at the end of the day, that's what we're in business for is, is to make profits. I would think so. And I encourage, I encourage all my you know listeners to stay profitable every episode at the, that's yeah. my, that's my closing sure. line. So, you know, perfectly said, you know, perfectly said, identify where you're the most profitable and where you're the weakest and then it would only make sense that you're going to want to strengthen your weak points or possibly in some cases eliminate those type of clients or jobs. Yes. Would you say? Yep. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I love that you talked about eliminating clients. The other thing that, that contractors really need to think of in this, in today's world, especially is, you know, think of your cash flow and eliminate the, even the clients that are a real headache to you that don't pay your bills on time or don't pay them in a timely manner so that you're not, spending all your time and energy fighting those fights. Nice. I like that. So let's go a little bit deeper here because a lot of my audience is probably an average of two or three or four employees, probably three employees is my average okay. audience size. Yeah. Um, and because it is an artist driven trade, you know, um, it's very personal. A it lot of my audience does not wish to grow. Now I've had, I've had interviews, people come on the show and say, you have to grow, you have to scale a business. Now, being a tile contractor myself and somebody who's, you know, that's my main trade throughout my uh, construction history, that's my license, you know, I yeah. push back a little bit because I feel for some of these people because I understand they do, they are putting out more artwork. So, but what I try to, you know, tell my audience is, listen, if that's you and you know you're never going to have more than one or two employees or perhaps some of these people are just – they never want employees, you, yeah. have, you have got to be extremely profitable. And I, I encourage them, you know, 
In fact, you're so niched down and such a specialty contractor that you could actually charge more than the big guys. I, that's true. Do you think that's true? Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Yeah. Well, tile, especially tile, you're right. It is an art form. I mean, I, you know, I'm a homeowner too. And in fact, I'm just on the, on the tail end of remodeling my home. Okay. <laughs> and, and tile is one of those very emotional things where people, people pick tile. It's a big part of their, you know, their home. They're not, we're, we're not going to pick it, you know, unless you're working for um, a track home contractor that's really trying to get the best buck and then, um, and then sell it, which, which even in that case, you know, tile is just such a significant part of the work that I, I 100% agree. You're going to get better money if you're a niche contractor and you can do a great job. Mm. We, let me ask you this personal question then, if you don't mind sharing. How no, did you, how did you find your tile contractor? Was he an old family friend, or how did you go about that process? He he was an old family friend, but um, I figured. But I want to say just you know to qualify that he had one guy that worked for him that I knew really well, and he knew did a good job. And I said, um, I really don't want you to do my job unless you have this guy do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because okay, okay. So you you directed the 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 general con the builder right. Or the, yes. the remodel contractor. Okay, great. And, and I didn't mean that in, in, in that way. What I meant is, you know, as I was saying it, I, I realized, oh, he has a lifelong of construction industry. Of course he knows, you know, who he's going to hire already probably. Sure. So um, it was maybe a little bit biased question. But I always like to ask that question when somebody tells me they recently had some tile work done. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm saying I, I even directed the tile contractor because he had about 17 employees. I said, there, you have one guy that works for you that I really want to do my house. Aha, aha. Okay, I missed that. I apologize. Excellent. No, no problem. Excellent. So you were you did your homework and, and knew exactly who you wanted installing that tile. I yeah, love it. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. <laughs> I, okay, okay. That's good. That's good. So, And I'm confident it all, it all turned out good. So, good. Good, good. What you know, another trend right now with contractors, we talk a lot about culture. So I would like to spend some time talking about culture, uh, mm -hmm. specifically, you know, hiring. I mean, everybody is just really having a rough time of it right now with hiring. So one of the things I've noticed with people who are hiring and specifically retaining their employees is, you know, a, a strong culture. So, um, you know, in your past, in your history, construction history, and even your history with uh, Busy Busy, what have you seen and identified as some of the better ways to attract top talent? Um, that, that's, a, that's a fantastic question. And I think, honestly, it's the number one question, both in today's world, because it is so hard to attract talent. But I also think it's your number one question when you're talking about profitability, mm. you know, so that you can attract the kind of, the kind of talent that can make you money. Um, you know, honestly, the culture... In, in my opinion, culture is your most important thing in your, in your business. I usually, when I talk to companies, I tell them, you know, there's almost two pillars to your company and it's systems and culture. And so your culture really is about how you make people feel in your business. Like it's, it's kind of the why behind your business. Like why do people want to be there? And to me, the, the most important thing about your culture is trust. You have to develop a culture of trust where the people that you, that you hire, that they trust you. And, and what do they trust you to do? Well, when you're building a business, it's kind of like building a family, you know, your team, you end up kind of feeling like your family and your family's got to trust you to have your back. I mean, like, like we all know, you know, we've got brothers, sisters, whomever, and no matter what happens, we always have their back mm -hmm. for the most part, you know, sure. and your employees have to feel that way about you. That's the number one thing. If you can create a culture that they trust you and that they gain self-respect by working with you, 
too, too often, and, and I'll just speak to negative culture a little bit, too often in the construction industry, we adopt a culture of what I would call a, a parent-child relationship, even though I hate to call it that because it's not like we want to be mean to our children. Mm-hmm. But, you know, where the boss says, look, look, I'm the boss and you're the peon, and, and you do what I say, and that's just the way it is. Well, you really have to learn to create a culture where you treat someone the way you'd want to be treated. Like if, if you wouldn't want to work for yourself, you haven't created a good culture. You know, and it's a little bit of that golden handcuffs kind of theory where um, if if you want to raise up your next competitor, just go ahead and hire a really top talented person, give them a ceiling that they can't surpass, treat them with disrespect, and pretty soon they'll be they'll be starting their own business and on their own competing against you. But see, so your culture it's it's got to be about trust and it's got to be about respect, and they've got to know that you've got their back. And you know, personally, I love to. I I think you should create a culture that is focused around A players. If you don't create a culture where an A, an a player, an A team member wants to work in your business, then you're probably not going to be as profitable as you could be and you're not going to attract the top talent. And so, you know, to me, what is that culture? Well, it's, it's culture of trust and respect, like I say, is the foundation. But then creating opportunities, letting them excel at their work. You know, um, you talked about tile being a very art, artistry form of work. Well, um, in, if you study different books and they talk to you about human motivation, uh, you know, what drives and what motivates humans, they'll tell you after they, after they make enough money to pass survival, then they're motivated by three things. And that's autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And in, and in where you say tile is very artistry, I would say that's your mastery side of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to be a master of their trade. They want to have autonomy. They want to be a responsible human being to do what they're supposed to do. And they want to have purpose. And, if you put those things in your culture, you'll attract people that are as profitable and as strong and as a player as you are. I like that a lot. I like that a lot, Isaac. Thank you for, uh, for bringing this up. I, I've got a few things to say on this. Um, the mastery of the trade. I, I, I pre- man, I really appreciate that because it's, it's so relevant to my current, you know, just last month I was in Jacksonville, Florida for one of the uh, most business orientated conventions for tile contractors it's called total solutions plus um it's it's a smaller crowd but it's it's business tracks pretty much all day instead of you know it's not a trade show it's more of a business trade show um combination uh and you know they they hand out awards and they hand out uh i believe it's the um uh, tile person of the year award or or tile i forget the title but it's 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 heavily focused on craftsmanship and artisanship and one of the awards they gave out was to an employee of Cox Tile. And I apologize. I, I cannot remember your name. We had a great conversation, and I'm actually going to interview him. But he was so happy to be receiving this award and being acknowledged, and he is excited for his career path. And, I, you know, briefly talking with him, that is what he wants. He he, like you said, he's he's met and probably exceeded his minimum requirement to live, right? Yep. So after that, how are, what you're saying is how are we going to keep them excited about their job and how are we going to uh, keep them motivated to continue performing and, and be and develop into that A star player? I love this a lot. I, I, I it's click it's all clicking. You know, as I do this podcast, uh, you know. It, I, I learned so much myself and I, I, I hope the audience is picking up on this because you give them something to uh, 
reach towards. You show them what you show them. Hey, did you see an employee won this award? Did you know that, you know, this is something you could work for? Or did you know that yeah. we, you know, we're a team here, you know, and it was such a team, you know? That's right. That, that's exactly right. You're, you're right on, you're right on cue. I, I appreciate even, I appreciate you understanding it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm grasping here. You know, I'm learning a lot. Like I said, I've been doing the podcast for three years and uh, as a contractor myself, uh, well, well, we'll discuss this le- a little later. But what I, what the other point I wanted to kind of hone in here is you, that illustration of the parent-child hits hard for me because I, I have one child. She's five now, and I find myself wanting to say that classic phrase because I said so. In other words, the why, you know, she's five. Why this? Why that? Because yep. I, I want to say and repeat. Because I catch myself every day. I want to, you know, because I said so. And sometimes I, I let it slip. But for the most part, I've been really attempting to be cognizant of slowing down and explaining to her. And it's amazing her attitude change when I actually explain why or you explain it in terms she can understand. And then she'll, instead of saying, why, 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 she says, oh, okay. And then moves on with her day. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, huh? We, I, I mean, I love, I love as you're explaining that because you, you, you said exactly what I, what I don't like about the term parent-child relationship, and, and that's exactly it. Is in, in the construction industry, we often you know, say it like that, but, but that's the reality is I don't, I don't want to treat my child that way either. <laughs> but in, in general, humans don't want to be treated that way. Yeah, absolutely. So someone like me, <clears throat> I had a soft spot for certain employees or, or all my employees, really, and I had a really hands-off approach to my leadership or my, um, you know, my position as their, their boss. Right. Right. Um, and I have a feeling that a lot of tile con- a lot of contractors in general struggle with this. They don't want to, you know, they, they struggle between either bringing the hammer down and, and, you know, being too forceful or, or not, you know, not really cultivating that, uh, that relationship and being the leader they need to be, or they're the other way where, you know, and I see this all the time. Uh, he's just, he's just not doing this or that, but there's no mention of conversation. There's no mention of, you know, kind of mentoring that employee and then they cut them loose. And then the cycle continues and they're constantly hiring every three to five years um, for a couple different reasons. But one of them I believe is the, the, the lack of, you know, um, building that relationship and cultivating their, you know, their skill and, and the team, you know, the teamship really of, of the whole thing. What would you say to someone like me who just really struggled to find that balance? And I was a little bit too passive as far as like sometimes deadlines would, I would just, you know, let them take as long as they wanted and, and things of this nature. How do you strike that balance? I mean, I'm learning to do it with my child, um, you, you know, but I, I, I struggled with my, with my employees. Yeah, that, that's a, that's another really great question and topic. And um, I would say the the number one thing you got to do as a leader is you have to set clear expectations of what success means. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's the number one thing. And, and the way I try to think of it is if you want to, if you want to be surrounded by a players, you know, try to create a, an environment that a players can thrive in. And if you think about, you know, yourself and, and I'll, I'll say that most business owners are probably a players that came from another company. Okay. And typically an a player, they want, they want communication and they want feedback. 
you know, and, and too often because we're trying to be nice, we end up almost coming across passive aggressive, you know, where we're, we're not quite telling people what we need to tell them because we just don't want to make them feel bad. But, but if you, in communication, you know, there's four types of communication. I think there's passive aggressive, there's aggressive, there's passive, and there's assertive. And most A players appreciate assertive communication the most. You know, you're not being aggressive, you're not demeaning or putting them down or making them feel terrible, but you're being very direct and assertive. Like this, this is what needs to happen. This is what we need to do. This is what we've got to accomplish in order to hit our goals or meet our expectations. And when you give them that kind of environment, they thrive better. You know, an A player thrives off goal setting and they thrive off clear communication of, of what needs to happen. And so I guess that's the first thing I would say. Secondly is um, oftentimes when we do, you know, let someone go, like you're saying, we've done that before we've given them an, an opportunity by giving them clear communication, right, right. you know, and sort of like, here's the things you need to work on and here's what you need to do to, to make your game better. Like, you know, most people, I mean, I mean, I, I should say the people that I want to attract around me, they want to know what it takes for them to move to the next level. And so I want to make sure I tell them. Mm. Nice. So it all boils down to communication is, is one of the key elements that you, that yes. you mentioned. I like it. And, and I, and the, the message I'd like to get across is we, we're trying to be polite. So we'd be passive aggressive when yeah. in reality, when you study communication, they say the the highest amount of respectful communication is assertive. Mm. Clear direct communication is the highest amount of respect you can give another person. And passive aggressive is actually the lowest amount of respect you can give another person. But we've, we kind of, I guess culturally we want to be nice. And so we're passive aggressive when it's really not as respectful as assertive. I appreciate that. That's, that's a great, that's a great sentence. I thank you. Yeah. It makes sense. Cause when you think about it, um, you want to be talked to straight as, as a man, as a, as a human, as a man or woman, um, you want to be given the information and, and given your task. You know, someone said it good the other day. It's like, Give me my task and I will, I, you know, I will produce and knock it out of the park, you know, but I don't need to be, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I'm already accomplished. I'm a, I'm a contractor. So I just want community. I, I just want my task and, you know, tell me the deadline and, and we'll, we'll do it. You know, I, yeah. so that, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for diving down this rabbit hole with me a little deeper, Isaac. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I was reading your bio on, on LinkedIn and, um, I, I really liked how you said, you know, uh, well, first of all, you said something kind of scary. You, you mentioned that over 70% of construction companies will fail within seven years. That's a pretty large number. Yes, it is. Yeah. And then you went on to say how, you know, through, through your business life, your contractor life, and it, your own challenges were what really brought awareness to you how desperately the con- contractor construction world needs better tools to you know, be financially healthy and strengthen their bottom, bottom line and not have such a high rate of failure. Cause that's not good for contractors. That's not good for the trades. And frankly, it's not good for the consumers. It's not good for the clients. That's right. It's not good for anybody. So this is what I was excited about though, because, you know, you mentioned that you went on to work, uh, the way your mind is, you, you wanted to identify, you know, what the problem was first of all, and then how to address it and, and where you could fit in on finding those solutions. And that caught my attention because, um, 
you know, that's essentially the same reason as I was saying just a minute ago that I started this podcast because one of the solutions I found for, for my contractor business was podcasts, oddly enough, because I'm driving 30, 60, 90 minutes a day in the truck. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm working on sometimes job sites that uh, I could listen to podcasts, you know, either, either in my ears or on the radio. So I was all of a sudden, once I found specifically business oriented podcasts, I was going to school sometimes 10 hours a day, you know, just passively, yeah. you know, and even though I wasn't taking notes or hearing, you know, I was probably only tuning in for 40, 60% of it. Uh, it's still, it's somehow, I still found myself months and, and a year into podcasts. My business was humming along so much smoother. And so that's why I started. So I'm, I'm glad to formulate and, and connect here. Again, I just wanted to kind of emphasize that our goals are aligned, you know, and, and that's what I yeah. appreciate about you, Isaac. Um, we, we both want to strengthen contractors out there. That's right. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, w- one of the things we've kind of touched on is, is leadership, but, you know, I, I, w- can we hone in on it a little more and, and somebody who is wanting to improve and grow their leadership skills, what advice could you give them? You know, you, you just barely hit it with podcasts. You know, I often tell people um, to listen to Audible, you know, many audio books. Correct, correct. And, um, you know, both both are valuable. Yep. And so, you know, we used to have the statement that leaders are readers, you know. Mm-hmm. But in, in our world, oftentimes the tasks we're working on are very monotonous. And we have a great opportunity to listen to books or podcasts, like you're saying. And that that's a, a heavy piece of advice I would give is you should – absolutely be consuming some, some books or some podcasts. And the awesome thing about, you know, I'll, I'll lean toward books a little bit just because I've kind of, uh, I've read a lot more of that direction. I've listened to a lot of podcasts, but probably may, maybe more books. You can take someone's entire life experience or business experience and they've condensed it down to eight hours and you can digest that whole thing rather than spending their whole life. You know, that's a great point. Yeah. It, it's a wonderful thing. And you can yeah. learn all these life lessons from them and it's, it's just fantastic. So I'd say, you know, readers are leaders, or in this case, listeners, you know, yeah. listen, listen to podcasts like, you know, like the one you're doing today, um, or, you know, you're like, you know, tile money, like you have on a regular basis, and then books and so forth. But I'd say they, they need to study leadership. And then that's the other thing is actually study leadership, actually make that something that you try to think of is how can I be a better leader? Hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of books on leadership, you know, good to great is a wonderful book. Um, 21 laws of irrefutable leadership. You know, we, we could go through a lot of different leadership books, but when you start studying leadership books, you start to be able to compare it with your own characteristics and say, you know, am I, am I being or acting like a leader or what things can I do to be a better leader? Mm-hmm. So essentially it's, it's like everything, right? I mean, they say when you want to learn a new language, you, you dive into it. And some people will even move to that country. Uh, my wife yeah. and I, uh, we traveled in Central America for three months, and uh, by the end of it, we had over we were overconfident in our, in our Spanish, but we were able to communicate on a small scale um, just after three months of uh, essentially diving into it and immersing immersing yourself in it. So, what you're saying, if you know, and this really applies to everything, not just leadership, is if That's if you're true. a contractor out there and you you know, the first thing, again, it, it goes back to identifying your weakness, right? Like we talked about at the outset, at the beginning of this was um, with, with profit, profitable or not profitable jobs. You have to identify those and understand 
which jobs are, are causing you money and which jobs are profitable. And, and then once you know the problem, right? So you, you have to admit to yourself your weaknesses and then dive into the books and podcast or however, you know, if you're a visual learner, you know, YouTube or, you know, whatever, dive into this world of leadership or whatever that skill might be. Um, solid, yeah. solid advice. It's simple. It sounds simple, but if you're listening to this podcast and, and you're not, you're not doing this, you're missing out on uh, a simple but effective solution that uh, thousands, uh, you know, the, the most profitable, uh, you know, recognizable names in, in, in business are practicing. I mean, it's, it's astonishing how simple it really is. I, I agreed. Agreed. It, it is really simple. And when I, and I, and I'll tie it back to what I said in, in kind of the beginning of the podcast where I said, you know, I always tell people focus on your systems and culture. Because if you focus only on culture, you can be the greatest guy on the planet and the nicest friend and all those kind of things, and you'll run a failing company, and nobody wants to work for that. Mm-hmm. You know? And so even, even studying things like your leadership, um, that's part of your systems. You, know, you, have, you have systems in your business that help you to become better and to thrive, to get the data that you need, to analyze your projects so that you can win. Because that's the other key thing about A players is A players want to win. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. They want to win with you. They, they don't want to lose. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Talking about, um, <clears throat> you know, talking about, you know, really the, uh, the systems is, is really what, what you found and, and were attracted to, right? And, and yeah. what you built out with Busy Busy. Tell us some of the history behind the thought process that went into Busy Busy. Okay. Well, um, so, so first off, what I did is in, in going through the construction industry, I ended up kind of filling every position all the way from working in the field to managing the onsite project to estimating the project and even, you know, ownership, you know, so I got to see all aspects of, of the construction business and we ended up growing our company up to where we had, you know, 40, 45 employees. So not, not tremendously huge, but big enough to hit a lot of different problems. Sure. Sure. And, yeah. um, yeah. and so you do, you know, there's, there's different problems at, that you have at two to three people and four people than you do at 10 to 15 and, and 20 to 30 and 40 to 50 and beyond. And so, and, and, and really there are, they're very different problems, but anyway, uh, as I was going through the business and I was doing what I'm sure all your listeners do, which is you're wearing all the hats, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're the tile setter, you're the payroll administrator, you're the estimator, you're the job project manager, mm-hmm. you, you know, you keep everything going. Right. And, and that can be a, a lot of, it can be a lot to mm-hmm. take on. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I really just got thinking, man, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better system for this, you know, to, to really offload these things. And so I started researching the construction history. That's part of my nature is I'm, I'm very analytical. You know, I just, I analyze everything. Yeah. It, I used to, one way we'd make a lot of money on our projects is I would analyze how they were bid and then see if I could outperform the bid. You know, whatever expectations the estimator had, could I outperform those? Because I'm, I'm both analytical and I'm competitive that way where I want to, and that's why I say, you know, give people expectations. If you tell me I've got um, 40 hours to do a job, I'm going to try to do it in 35 because I'm competitive. Sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, so, um, Anyways, I was, I was going through and studying and researching the industry. One of the things I discovered is, this, is the scary statistic you brought up from my bio 
is that 70% of the time construction companies fail, they go, they go bankrupt. And so a hundred, a hundred business, a hundred com, um, guys, you might say go into business on year one and by year four, 57 of them have gone out of business. And by year seven, 70 of them have gone out of business. And then it continues, you know, the, the high level of carnage doesn't continue as much after year seven, but it still continues. And so really I kind of looked at it like a, a research project and, you know, I, I was analyzing it saying, okay, what's the root cause? You know, what's the reason I, I was really looking for the why, like why, why are contractors failing? I, I know my experiences, I know the struggles I've had and, and the things I've had around my mind around, but why are contractors failing? And so I, I spent a lot of time researching the industry. I even, con, I even um, hired a research company out of Connecticut to do a poll coast to coast because I wanted to understand, you know, I want to make sure I wasn't just seeing things from a Utah perspective, you know, what, yeah, yeah. what things, what things are other people experiencing? And, and what I found was that everybody, everybody's problems were pretty common, you know, all across the trades, there wasn't really a lot of differences as to why they failed. And so the, the basic, the basic thing that I discovered was this, you couldn't hardly find record of somebody who failed because they didn't understand their skill set. Mm-hmm. You know, a tradesman, all of it was, they didn't understand business. You know, they didn't understand these systems and principles. And so the key statement that I was able to boil it down to is contractors fail due to insufficient information to make profitable decisions. They didn't have the information they need. It was insufficient for them to make profitable decisions. And I'd point back to what I said earlier in the podcast. You don't know which jobs are winning and which jobs are losing. And so you might be pursuing jobs that lose you money instead of jobs that win you money because you don't have the information systems in place um, to identify the difference between those two. And, that, and that's one of the most clear examples and in business. And, and I don't want your listeners to feel like they're a bad business person because they don't have this information mm-hmm. in busy, busy over 50% of our, of, of our clients that we sign up, we're introducing to things like job costing, mm-hmm. you know, we're introducing to job tracking. Sure. And, and because that's just the reality is we're, we're in a business. You typically, this is how a typical contractor starts out is why do they go into business for themselves? You know, as, as I continue my research project, and that's what I do all the time now with Busy Busy, is you, you, you look at it kind of like a, a triage, you know, like 70% of people are dying. What are they dying from? You know, what's the, what are the people's characteristics? Where do they come from? All that kind of stuff. Well, where do contractors typically come from? Most contractors go into business for themselves because they were unsatisfied for some reason or another, and they were a good trade skillsman. You know, they, they had great, they're, they're master at their trade. And so usually it's because the environment they were working in was either not satisfying. It was hostile. It was, it was a problem for one reason or another. It didn't provide opportunities. You know, so when we talk about how you build a good team around you, I usually look for those opposite examples. Like what are all the reasons you, you would leave a company you know, fix, basically fix those reasons. Yeah. But most contractors, they go into business for themselves. So they're the, they're the best tile setter out there. You know, they're the best artisan out there. They go into business for themselves. And what they immediately find out is that business requires a lot more than, than just the, the skilled trade. Right. Yeah. And so now they're, they're learning, they're going through a, a brand new learning curve of all the things they don't know, you know, how to manage a business. And, and, you know, I have this, um, I don't know if it's in my bio online, but I have this rainbow of responsibilities. You know, we talked about the 11 different responsibilities that everybody ends up managing and they go through and I, you know, I should be able to quote those right off the top of my head, but (laughs) 
I, I should find that. I should have found that for the podcast. But anyway, they, they have various responsibilities. Some of that is managing their employees, their assets, their equipment, their legal responsibilities, you know, inspection responsibilities, managing customers, managing estimating, um, planning for future growth, all these different systems that they've got to deal with, insurance. I mean, just a ton of different things, keeping up with regulations. And, and they weren't prepared to deal with any of those things. And usually that's what takes them out of the game is just systems, lack of systems. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, no, you're in my surmise, you know, from my research and, and, and the thought process that I've done on the same subject of why, what, you know, first of all, why are contractors fail? But second of all, why do so many, you know, we call them runaway, uh, runaway helpers is what we used to call them. Yeah. <laughs> runaway apprentices for uh, a more correct term. Now, uh, why do they go out? You know, why did I at, yeah. at, exactly. at 19, why did I leave my, my em, em, employer and, and go out and strike it on my own? And it was largely, you know, due to not understanding, not understanding how hard it was going to be. Right. And, and also, you know, being a little bit dissatisfied with the environment I was in. Um, right. and, and, you know, once friends and family get wind that all of a sudden you have a few tools, they're going to say, well, we'll pay you 35 an hour cash. And if you're making 20 or under all of a sudden, you know, you're going to do a week's worth of work and think you're on top of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is interesting because what this does and, and what this podcast is all about is I, you know, we really want to strengthen the contractor businesses that, you know, really, um, have a, a potential to strengthen the in, entire industry and employ people at a fair wage and understand what that looks like and, yep. and create opportunities for people because I think there are a lot of people. In, in fact, when I, was, when I got married, I was 25, I, I moved to California, I got my contractor license, but it was, it was very difficult. So then I went looking for a job. Well... I had my tools. I had, you know, by that time I had eight years experience in the trade. I had a license uh, in the state of California, but I couldn't find a job in, in 2008 that paid over $20 an hour. And I was living in Monterey, California. Wow. So I wasn't going to go to work. I wasn't going to, you know, you can't live. I mean, you can't live I'm- on that. So, um, and maybe partly that's, that's my fault, you know, for not, you know, not demanding more or, you know, not, not having the tools at, at that time to do so. But it is a reality for most people in, in most states and most cities. There are, there are exceptions where you have strong, you know, tile contractor companies who kind of set the standard. They set the bar and then even though, you know, most companies are going to fall below it um, and, and the competitive ones will try to, you know, continue to play at the same level or higher, Right. Right. Um, it, it raises the standard for everybody in that, I'll just say county or community of tile contractors or, you know, insert whatever contractor trade you want to. Yep. So this is really what we're talking about is, is a tool t- and, and a thought process really of strengthening your business and, and providing opportunity, you know, better opportunities for employees, um, I love it. I love it. So you started busy, busy tracking labor data because you felt that that was a huge, uh, a huge lack and a huge problem. Yes. Yep. I started with labor for, you know, I mentioned kind of looking at it from a triage point of view. It's like, okay, if 70% of people are dying, 
you know, which artery are they going to bleed out by the first, you know, which one's going to bleed you out the fastest. And when I studied the different uh, systems that, that was basically destroying the contractors, labor was number one, you know, they, they estimate, and, and I could, you know, make it simple, a simple example for your listeners is, you know, you estimate a, a job. Now, with, if you're on piecework, that's one thing. That's a different uh, topic, right? But say you pay your guys by the hour, and so you estimate the job, and you say it's going to take you, you know, X amount of hours, whatever that, that amount is. You know, at the end of the day, are you comparing what it actually took to what you thought it would take? Right. And, and do you have proper tracking systems to let you compare that? And so when you get into that, you have to have systems that will track the person's time accurately and track it to the project accurately and sometimes to the task, you know, depending on how you want to divide up your tasks. And in essence, you should divide up your tasks based on the same way you estimate them so that you can compare it at the end of the game. And so I like to call it the um, project accounting cycle, which is basically you estimate the work, you execute or perform the work, and then you evaluate the work. And if you do that, then your next estimate's better and better and better. And you, you end up discovering more and more of what you you could do different on the next job. And so if you're not tracking what you're doing often or what a lot of people do is they're kind of using their bank account to run their business. Like, okay, I've got money or I don't have money or, you know, I collected this much in this, this month and I'm paying this much out this month. But that doesn't tell you whether you're winning or losing mm-hmm. on an individual project basis. Yeah. And so at the very simple level of it, um, what, what I had discovered is it wasn't too difficult for contractors to track their materials of whether they were winning or losing, sure. but it was more difficult by far to track their labor. And mm-hmm. so that's what I, I started with tracking labor because that was the hardest thing, you know, the biggest variable you might say. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, I was very old school where I had a, each job had a folder and my intentions were good, good for you. <laughs> my intentions were good. I wrote, I wrote the time and the employees on the inside of every calendar for the most part. I, I was fairly, yeah. fairly good about that. And my intentions were always to do job costing afterwards, but you know, and you know, especially in these recent years, you're so busy that, Oh, I'll do that yeah. next week. I'm going to do it all at once. And then all of a sudden you have 15 jobs and, and you're, you think you're going to do it and you just don't. So That's this right. eliminates that and, and makes it stupid easy um, right. to, to track your labor and, and manage your employees. And what I like, uh, Isaac, is it's very um, it's very cost effective. You know, it's reason, yeah. very reasonably priced. And I believe you would have a free version. That's that's true. We do for for like say a single contractor to use. Now anybody who wants to check out Busy Busy and dive in a little uh, deeper, look for my interviews with Ryan, and we're gonna have some shorter interviews on YouTube and dive into the specifics and some of the um, the more advanced uh, you know um, capabilities of Busy Busy app. Um, and if you want, if you can't wait for that and you want to download the app and check it out, use the link in my show notes to, to go ahead and find out more about busy, busy. That will be, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening in the podcast, you can find that link. So friends, I just wanted to let you know about that. This is a very, uh, I, 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 my guard, you know, to be honest, Isaac, when, when Isaac, when, uh, Ryan reached out to me, you know, I, I get, I get, you know, <clears throat> that happens a lot. And yeah, <laughs> my guard was up, my guard was up, but yeah. then, um, I, I, I checked it out and I saw it was a, a powerful tool, but then I sat in on a, on a webinar he did with the NTCA mm-hmm. and I saw not only my reaction, uh, once I understood how powerful, it, you know, and useful this tool was, but the audience that was also with me on that, um, 
on that webinar from the NTCA, oh, cool. they Very were, cool. they were super positive And you know, the contractors who were on me that I knew. And then I've reached out to contractors that I know, like David Sandana up in Washington advanced, uh, excuse me, uh, Oh, I forgot the business name right, right off the top of my head. But anyway, David, you know who you are. Um, uh, and he's using it and loving it. So I've, I've heard positive things and, 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 cool. and learned about it. So I'm excited to share it with my audience. Um, I appreciate your time. We're coming up on an hour, Isaac. Do you have any last words, anything we missed? Um, you know, nothing that we couldn't, we couldn't share on another podcast. I, I guess, well, Maybe I'll just insert this last parting thought is when we talk about leadership and honing your skills as a leader, uh, one thing I would highly recommend to your audience is also learn how to negotiate, learn negotiation skills. Yeah. It's, it's just another one of those leadership skills. Often contractors, we get um, taken advantage of in the negotiation. And, yeah. and so we've got to learn how to negotiate so that we, we set ourselves up for winning also. Absolutely. No, I love it. I love it, Isaac. And friends, negotiation, you know how uh, we've, we've really honed in on that topic on this podcast. We have Ron Nash, a reoccurring guest, uh, the president of Latacrete International, coming back um, soon. I don't know if it's November or December or January, but within the next six, 90 days here to uh, give us some new uh, some new information on negotiation. I mean, this awesome. Ron is, you know, that's one of his key topics and he continues to educate himself on it and continues to share it with the audience. So uh, look cool. forward to that because we, we do uh, believe that negotiation is not a bad word. Um, it's something that you do, whether you know or not. Right. I mean, yep. yeah. so, so it's good to know. Good to know. All right, Isaac. Well, I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for sharing your insights and your knowledge and, and history. And we look forward to having you back on the podcast in the future. Thank you. And, and thank you for the opportunity to come on your show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks a lot, Luke. My pleasure. My pleasure. Tile friends. We'll talk to you next week. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, we are a weekly podcast. You can find in a podcast player app of your choice. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts, etc. Uh, if you want to stay in touch with all things Tile Money, please do subscribe to our newsletter. It's a weekly newsletter. That's where we will let you know uh, of our weekly episodes that might catch your, catch your interest. And we will also let you know of upcoming events like trade shows and such where we will be live streaming and things of this nature. So you can find that in the show notes or just go to tilemoney.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Stay positive out there, Tile friends. I hope you're having a great week. And please, above all else, don't forget, stay profitable, Tile friends. We'll talk to you next week. Take it easy.